few weeks ago, I was just surfing on YouTube, and I, I came across some pretty interesting, um, uh, funny footage. And what it was is they took grade school and junior high students, and they gave them a rotary phone that was working and simply said, use it. And uh, here's, here's what happened. First of all, none of them knew how to do the actual rotary part. How many of you remember the zero when you'd call a girl? Guys, remember that? How long that took to get through? They were all poking the knobs so they didn't know what was going on. And then one kid picked up the phone and goes, uh, Siri, call Jeremy. Siri. <laughs> and the one that cracked me up the most, this kid put to the ear, and uh, uh, the dial tone came on, and he goes, is that a weather alert? <laughs> Not a sharp kid. How many here have rotary memories? How many remember the old rotary phones? Sure. Yeah. Uh, if you were like our house, we had one rotary phone that was on the wall. And uh, when it rang, it, you would, I mean, especially if it was a girl calling, you'd run, you'd got to get there. And then remember it had that 80-foot cord, and you'd stretch it like all the way outside. And then what was really creepy when I was a kid, I'd pick it up. Remember the party line? I listen, like when I was a little kid, I'd be like, shh, I think they're going to tell me where they buried the body. You know, you don't, you know, that was the creepiest thing. But here's what's interesting. Think of how many years the rotary phone was a part of our lives. I mean, the technology didn't advance. You maybe got a different color, but that rotary phone was around a long time. Now, I want you to think about an iPhone. The iPhone came out in 2007. Think of how many changes have taken place since the iPhone came out. We don't just live in a world of change. We live in a world of rapid change. And when we live in a world of rapid change, we need to cling to what we know is absolutely true. So let me share with you an absolute truth. In order for you and in order for me to have the relationships with others and the relationship with God that we all desire, you got to get off the couch. In order for you and in order for me to have the relationships with God and with others, we all have to get off the couch. So I just want to go through God's word, a section of God's word in First and Second Samuel. And I simply want to look at that through the lens of what could happen if you choose to get off the couch. Because we're going to see an example of what happens when you get off the couch. Now, if you're going through your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel 22. And that's about a quarter of the way through your Bible there in the Old Testament. And really, as you're reading 1 and 2 Samuel, they are, they are books of history. And they are books of military conquest. And here's what I love about these two books. If you remember these three names that I'm going to give you, you'll know pretty much the foundation of 1 and 2 Samuel. Here's the first name, Samuel. Samuel was a prophet, and he was in the midst of a huge struggle. And the struggle was simply this. The entire nation of Israel, they wanted a king. The problem was they wanted a king like everybody else's king. They could care less whether the king was truly committed to God. They wanted for lack of a better word, somebody that was tall, dark, and handsome. And so this is the battle that they fought. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says this, The Lord doesn't look at things that people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Well, I'm glad we don't have that struggle today, aren't you? That we have superficiality because they had it then and we have it today. The second character is Saul. Now, Saul was the king that was appointed by the people. And Samuel knew from the very beginning there was going to be trouble. Why? Because this guy was insecure and superficial and he did not have the heart of God. 
And that plays out in First and Second Samuel. The third character who I love is David. Now, you probably remember when David showed up on the scene in a big way in 1 Samuel 17. What happens is, you all know the story, is shepherd boy shows up on the battlefront. Everybody's cowering because there's Goliath, you know, eight, nine feet tall, and he's just bellowing out, and he's just challenging the Israelites. Nobody will step up. The king, Saul, won't step up. And David shows up and said, what's the big deal? And Saul even offers him to give him his armor. He said, no way. All I need is the slingshot. And how many stones? How many? Five. And he, he, he brings him down. Goliath hits the ground. He beheads him. He holds the head up. You know, wouldn't that have been a great show until the next day at school? Yeah! You know, and all of a sudden the Israelites take off. And I mean, everything has changed. Everything has changed. But here's what changed more than anything else. The scripture tells us that from that point forward, when they'd go into cities, that the people would shout out, Saul! has slain thousands, but David has slain tens of thousands. At that moment, David was the rock star, and Saul couldn't take it. Matter of fact, he couldn't take it to the point he would do anything to kill David. And that's where I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel 22, as we pick up this amazing story. Acts 13.22 tells us that David is a man after God's own heart, but Saul could care less. Matter of fact, it's interesting what happens is David realizes that Saul is after him, and he runs to this area about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem, and it's an area called Adullam. And Adullam had these caves. Matter of fact, the word Adullam means refuge. So as David makes his way down to this area, a fortress really, he gets into this cave and he realizes, and as he begins to contemplate, man, I've got nothing. I mean, this isn't a school backyard bully here who's coming after me. This is the king. And who in their right mind is going to protect me now? Because if anybody protects me, they are standing up against Saul, which means they're going to die. So he comes out of the cave. He realizes he needs help. And as he goes into this region, I want you to listen to 1 Samuel 22, to the men that he finds. And here's what it says, 1 Samuel 22, verse 1 and 2. And those who were there were in distress or in debt or discontented. Now that's quite a resume, isn't it? Distressed, in debt, discontented. It sounds like the U.S. government. Am I right? <laughs> now here's the thing. Everybody in this room... I bet you can relate with every, every one of those emotions. This week, I guarantee some of you have had some pretty intense stress. Debt, will we all agree we're all in debt? I'm not discontented. Those times when you look in the mirror and you're like, I, I really thought life would be different than this. I thought this would play out a lot differently than it's been playing out. So when we look at these folks, I think there's one word that describes them perfectly, and I think it's the word broken. And you know who's here this morning? A lot of broken people. We may put on nice church outfits, but at the end of the day, we're broken. And we all have genuine, serious struggles. A while back, I had a men's Bible study, and we studied a book called The Good and Beautiful Community by James Bryan Smith. And he talked about a, a minister who planted a church in South Africa. And as he got to know all the folks in his community, he was riveted by how much pain was in the community. 
and he was trying to come up with a name for the church. So on a Sunday morning, he gathered everybody together, and he said, we're going to go through something together as a congregation. And he held up this beautiful pot, and then he dropped it. He took all the little pieces, and he handed it out to everybody that was there. He said, I want you to go home, and I want you to pray over that little piece of pottery. And then I want you to write on it what has broke your heart. What is it that only God can mend? But just write that hurt right there on that piece of pottery. They came back that night, and they took the entire evening putting that pot back together. Then they put a candle in it, and they lit it. And you could barely see the reflection come through the cracks of that vessel. And he said, we are the church of the broken pot. Sherwood Oaks is the church of the broken pot. We're a church that more than anything else, through the brokenness, we reflect Jesus Christ. Because we are all broken. And that's who David surrounded himself with. 400 men whose lives were on the rocks. 400 men whose lives were broken. Now just stop there and take uh, your hands and flip over to 2 Samuel chapter 23. Now as you're flipping the pages, realize that as you're flipping those pages, that represents years that are going by. Matter of fact, when you get to 2 Samuel 23, 40 years have passed. And from that, that young man in that cave running for his life with 400 men you fast forward 40 years and here's what's happened. David actually spares Saul's life twice. Samuel the prophet dies. Saul has an emotional and spiritual meltdown. Then Saul dies the life of a coward. David becomes the king at the age of 30. He becomes a military hero with over 30,000 soldiers. And then there's the scandal with Bathsheba, the family rebellion. And near the end of his life, David once again is seeking answers. And guess what he does? He goes down to the cave of Adullam. Do you have a place like that? Do you have a place like when you really need to think things through, you just got to get away to? And that was this place for him. And as he's in this cave the second time, what's interesting is he took three guys with him. Now I want you to think about this because when I was studying, uh, uh, it was the Moody Commentary, one-year commentary, and here was one of the speculations that I'd never thought of until I read this. When those three men were with David in that cave, most likely they were three of the 400 who 40 years previously stepped forward and say, I'll die for you. They were actually closer to David than his own family. And here's one of the most amazing stories in that text that you're looking at. These men come together in a cave, and David does what men do. And here's what I mean by what men do. It's Father's Day. You ever notice when men are in crisis, do you know what they talk about when they're with other men? It's very spiritual. They talk about places they love to eat. Have you ever noticed that? They just love to talk about food and drink. They just, they just do. You get a bunch of guys, you think they'd be talking about life? It's about things like Mother Bear's pizza and steak. Matter of fact, here's the difference, and this is just a social observation. This is the difference between being with a group of guys who are 20 and a group of guys that are 40. Okay, you ready? A group of guys in a restaurant in their 20s, do you know what they talk about? The waitress. When they're in their 40s, you know what they talk about? What the waitress is carrying. I absolutely, is that onion rings? I think it is. You know, they, they get really excited. Now, you think I'm lying? I am not lying. I've been with enough older guys. And here's David, 
And he's on a threshold, really, of potentially dying. He's running from the Philistines. And you know what he talks about? Man, what I would do for a cold drink of water from Bethlehem. And then I think what happened is he actually was exhausted and he fell asleep. And you know what those three guys did? They snuck behind enemy lines. They get a vessel of ice cold water. They bring it back to David. And you know what David does? David is so moved, he refuses to drink the water. Instead, he offers it up as a sacrifice to God. He said, these guys were willing to lay down their life for me. I couldn't possibly drink that water. Do you see the difference between David and Saul? You know what Saul would have done? He would have demanded them, just go get the water. And then who would have drank the water? David didn't say anything. They just loved him so much, they did that for him. What are you willing to do for God? This morning, are you willing to get off the couch and be the kind of friend that God wants you to be? Are you willing to get off the couch and be the follower of Christ that you need to be? Are you willing to just get off the couch? Because when you look at these guys' life, the 400 men who stepped forward and the three men in that cave, here's what they all had in common. Man, they got off the couch. That's who David talked about at the end of his life, the mighty men who did something. A few months ago, I was watching the IU basketball game, and I'm um, pretty sure they lost. And uh, I was getting ready to have the remote, and I'm about ready to throw it, you know. And, I, and they were like, oh, there's a, a Big Ten special. And uh, they uh, said, you, you want to see this? And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'll stay up and watch that. And so it really just inspired me, and I hope it encourages you to get off the couch. Uh, well, needless to say, when I saw that video the first time, I bawled like a baby. Um, and then I had the honor a month or so ago to hear Tom speak at Edgewood, and I, uh, him and his wife, and I just said, could you just come and, on Father's Day and just share with us? And I got a chance to go over to IU and talk to uh, Tom in his environment. And one of the things he shared is he's a huge goal setter. I mean, he's done extreme stuff. We're talking Iron Man, and I mean, he was doing stuff that only guys only dream of, and he sets intense goals. But one of his goals spiritually, and I, I wrote this down because I loved it. He said, I, at the beginning of that year, I wrote down, I wanted to go from a Sunday attender to an everyday believer. And so I would just uh, like you to just take a moment, Tom, if you could just share with us how God's presence helped you at the time of that accident. Absolutely. I want to start, first start off by uh, thanking you guys for having me today. Um, truly an honor to be here and speak with you guys. Um, yeah, I, I laid in the woods for over three and a half, almost four hours. Um, and at that point, I can't tell you that I had one ounce of panic or I wasn't scared. I, I, I felt completely at ease. I felt completely comfortable in a situation that, uh, it, well, it, it, it was pretty tough. Uh, and the only thing I could contribute to that is that, that, that person on my shoulder and uh, keeping me safe, uh, keeping me calm. Throughout this whole process, that's been the number one thing. Uh, that spiritual leadership, my faith has grown more and more as time has gone on through this. It's kept me calm. It's kept my mind focused. And it's kept me knowing that I just got to keep getting better with everything. I don't need to sit there and dwell on what happened, what happened, happened. Um, and that, 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 the guidance and that person on my shoulder uh, has, grown, has made my faith grown, uh, but it, it's really made me a better person. And I know that this morning there's a lot of folks here that they're facing a lot of challenges in their life. So what encouragement do you have for everybody here that just needs to get off the couch and do something? Yeah, absolutely. 
this is it. It starts with one little step. Um, I was fortunate enough to talk to the soccer team in 2012 in the beginning of the year. And, um, you know, my speech to them was we're, we were all sitting in that locker room before the game. And I said, it's not about winning a national championship right now. It's about what you're going to do when you take that first step. Every first step ends up leading to big goals. Um, I've had lots of people I've talked to, and they've gone from sitting on the couch uh, to telling me they want to run a marathon. Um, and the reality is that's just not going to happen. But if you take a step in the direction to get you to that marathon, each little step turns into a big goal. Um, I encourage you guys, no matter where you're at, no matter what walk of life you are, no matter big, small, sedentary, or up and moving, there's no excuses out there. Uh, I'm telling you, there's more. I've talked to a lot of people with different paths and uh, different futures that um, are pretty challenging, but there's a way uh, to get certain things done. And I encourage you all to make sure you take those little steps um, and continue to keep moving on and uh, just continue to keep getting better. That's why this morning, if you'll reach in front of you, all of you, there's a neon card. It's either yellow or green. Look up and down your pews. And it just says, get off the couch challenge. I need to get off the couch and... What is it God's laid on your heart that you need to get off the couch and do something about? And then as a part of our invitation, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. I have some prayer warriors that are here this morning. Would they stand up? Some folks. If you see some folks that have get off the couch on their t-shirts, if you just approach them and say, I have just something I'd really like to pray about, that's your first step. We know that during an invitation that it's so hard, let's say for the balcony or whoever, to make your way to the front. That's just almost overwhelming. I understand that. But look around. There are people who would love to pray with you, not just now, but even after the service. And we've had some folks already that just makes their way to the folks and just to let them know, man, I'm really struggling with, with this. Would you pray with me about my next challenge?